God is so worthy to be praised. Amen. I love it. I love it. I was standing in the back. I actually uh, was a little bit late getting upstairs to try to come in because uh, my Bible was upstairs, and so I'm out of breath, so give me a second. No, I'm just kidding. I had to run up those steps. I was like, man, hey, the songs are over, so I took off running up there. But anyway, it's, it's just awesome to be able to praise. And I stand in the back. Look, sometimes I like to stand in the back, and to be honest with you, just to watch our people worship. And I'm thinking, you know, I enjoy watching our people worship. And imagine what God feels whenever he looks down and he sees his people worship. When he sees his church family worshiping him. And they're being, you know, they're being intimate with him, praising him and glorifying his name. And that's powerful. And so I, I'm, I'm just a human. So I can't imagine what it's like for God to look down and to look into your heart and to know that, you know what, you're pouring out your, your best before him. That's, that's powerful. Today we're talking, uh, we'll continue our series talking about setback or setup. And today we're talking about whenever setbacks happen that maybe sometimes come through other people. And uh, we all, you know, we all deal with setbacks. Uh, the one thing I love about the message of the gospel is that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We've all blown it. We've all messed up. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And no matter who you are in this room, it doesn't matter where you come from, your background, it doesn't matter if you were churched, it doesn't matter if you were rich, it doesn't matter if you were poor, it doesn't matter if you were educated or uneducated, everybody that is in the uh, earshot of me at this moment, I can just tell you this, you all missed it. Not it too. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. That may not sound like good news, but here's the thing, it is a setback. But God was in the, he was in the process of putting together a setup. If you will, it was going to be incredible. And so God provided the way for you and I to have a right relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. No other way but through the person of Jesus Christ. Our faith in Him. His grace, our faith, and we are literally made right in the presence of God. And so when I look at today, and I look at these uh, setbacks, we all have to kind of come to that reality that, you know, we all battle setbacks. Every one of us here. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We've all missed God's standard. We have missed it by a mile. And so to realize, you know what, I am a setback. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a setback. I, I am a sinful individual, but God has provided the way of salvation. That's a setup. And so today I want us to look at a story of someone who is, is an incredible story in the Bible. It's Joseph who experiences setback after setback after setback. Now, now here's the thing. Most of all of us in here, we, we love a, a story of a comeback. You know, most all of us like a story of a comeback. Someone who did, maybe didn't start out well. You know, but they worked hard, they did whatever, they got to a certain point or got to a certain level. We go, man, we like that. Or a Cinderella story. We go, you know what, they don't have the talent, they don't have the people, they don't have what it takes, but yet they keep winning somehow, some way. They keep shocking everybody. They shock the world. They surprise everybody. So most of us like a Cinderella story until they beat our team. Then we don't like it, right? But we like a Cinderella story. We like the, the one who is not worthy, the one who does not have what it takes, but yet... They continue to flourish. And so we love those stories. And, and here's what I love is whenever we look at these setbacks, and today we're going to look at some of the setbacks in Joseph's life, is we don't always see the whole story, but God does. I remember years ago, Dr. James Dobson was telling a story, and he was talking about how he was sitting in his recliner, and he was watching their hamster who had been running on his wheel, but he was trying his best to get out of his cage. And he was sitting there thinking about that hamster. is just thinking, hey, I'm just inches away from freedom. I'm just inches away from freedom, but the hamster couldn't see everything. But Dr. Dobson, sitting in his chair, is sitting back, and he's watching their, their cat, Fluffy, or whatever the cat's name was, watch that hamster and praying that that cat, I mean, that that hamster gets out of that cage. 
And he said, you know, for many of us, he said, we're like that hamster in a cage. We want to be out of a situation or we want to be beyond a situation, but we don't realize that God is protecting us. God sees the whole picture. We don't see everything. And so for Joseph, Joseph didn't see all that was happening. He didn't realize where everything was going. But in the end, he sees, you know what, God was at work. And so today we're going to take a look at a couple of different passages here. And we're going to kind of walk through the story. Now, this is a really interesting story. Joseph uh, was the son of Jacob. And, and you know, he, came, he comes from a really a, a, a dysfunctional home in, in many ways. You'll hear some of it when we first start reading. But Jacob had been married to four different women. He had children. He had these, these sons, these sons of, uh, that would make up the nation of Israel. Um, but he, so he has these sons, and they're all from different wives and stuff. And so it's, a, you know, it's really a blended family in a major way. And so Jacob is not necessarily what you would call the greatest father in how he does his parenting. He even had a favorite wife of the four, you know, in, uh, in Rachel. And so it was one of those things where he didn't make the best decisions. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of move through the story. And, and, and it covers from like Genesis 37 to Genesis 50 something. So we're not going to cover all that today. That would be too much. We're going to kind of hit on some high spots, if you will. But I'm going to try to get you guys up to, up to snuff with this. But if you've heard the story, The Coat of Many Colors... You know, or, you know, Joseph and his, his uh, coat of many colors or his bedazzled coat or his ornament, you know, ornamented uh, coat or whatever. That's what the story is about. So let's kind of pick up in verse 3 here of chapter 37 in Genesis. And it says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his uh, other children. That's a problem. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him uh, more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. He said, we were out in the field tying up bundles of, of grain. And suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. He had another dream, kind of along the same passage. And he, so he told his brothers this one, they hated him. So he had another dream. So this time he tells his dad and his, his mom about it. And they're like, you know, son, what kind of thinking is this? You think we're all going to bow down to you? And so he was literally punished, if you will, for sharing these dreams that he had. And, and, and so the thing that Joseph dealt with as a setback, it says Joseph grew up in a home where he was ignored and mistreated by his siblings. So Joseph grows up in a home where he is ignored and mistreated by his siblings. Now that may be the kind of home that some of you guys grew up in. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were ignored or mistreated. You know, maybe it was mistreated by your, your mom or your dad. Maybe you were mistreated or ignored by them. Maybe it was by your brothers or sisters. You know, and, and so whenever you read that story and you see how they were treating uh, Joseph here, you go, you know what, that's me. And so we can see that as a setback. We can see that as, you know what, man, I'm struggling. Now, I understand you know, people are a product of their environment, but we don't have to stay that product of our environment. You know, the power of God is greater than anything that we will deal with in this world. So the power of God at work in me, the power of God at work in you, the power of the gospel, the transformational power of, of the gospel is at work in us. And so we may have been raised in a certain environment, but we don't have to stay that until the day we die. And I hope if you're here today and maybe you've dealt with that setback and go, you know what, that's my home. My home is dysfunction junction, man. I mean, I, I, that's me. You know, I grew up in, in, a, in a, just a crazy home. But it doesn't mean that you have to end up that way. 
You can be better than that. You can, you can really literally become healed of some of the wounds that were pushed upon you or pressed upon you as a child, and you can literally become one who ministers to those who maybe are caught in those type of homes. And God will give you that passion, that heart to, to love people and to care for people and to help maybe children overcome some of their home life and some of the home situations that they've gone through. But Joseph grew up in a home where he was ignored and mistreated by his siblings. And so they, they, you know, they didn't like him. You know, here's the, here's the one that, you know, daddy loves the most, you know, and, and dad set him up for failure. I mean, you look back at Jacob going, you know, he loved Joseph more than the others. I mean, that's wrong in, in so many ways. And so he sets him up for failure with his brothers and sisters. He sets him up with his siblings to be, to, to literally be a part of failure. And, and so what happens is a lot of times we grow up in a home like that, you know, maybe, maybe there was favoritism shown, or maybe here's the thing, you were not the one that was shown favoritism. You were the one that was left out. So maybe, you know, you look back and you go, you know what, it was wrong. But just because it was wrong doesn't mean you have to stay like that or repeat that. The power of God at work in us can help us to overcome some of the things that we have had modeled for us and that we've seen and the pattern that was there. You know, God is, he is a redeemer. He redeems that which, that which has been lost. And he redeems us. And so we see where Joseph had a setback. You know, he came, he kind of came out of a, a bad home situation. And so there may be some of you that you've grown up in that bad home situation and here you are later in life. One of the things I love about the church is the church becomes a family. Church becomes part of my family. You know, and I, I think about being a part of the church. It's not, hey, that I have a job or responsibility, but I consider this to be part of my family. And I'm a part of the church family. And so for many of you, you know, you look back and you say, you know what, we had a dysfunctional family, but you can be a part of a healthy family where there's people that love you and they care for you and they pray for you and they do everything they can to help you become all that God wants you to be. And part of that is life groups. You know, last Sunday we had sign up for life groups. And, and maybe for some of you, you know, that's one of the greatest needs you have. You, you didn't come from a good family situation, but you want to be a part of something like that. Getting in a, a, a life group where, you know, the Word of God is taught and there's people that pray over you and care for you and minister to you and they pray for your kids and they pray for what you're going through. I heard Brandon share earlier in the first service where he was talking about his dad had been diagnosed with cancer this past week. You know, and he, you know, he's, hey man, be praying for my dad. So he's got people around him that are praying for him and, and praying for his dad and praying for, for peace in that situation. And that's what the church family does. There's, there's some of my greatest friends are part of the body of Christ. And I'll just tell you, I am closer to many people in this church than I am to my family because I, I know I can trust these people. And so that, that goes a long way. And so Joseph may have come out of a bad situation, but God had something better. And so let's move down here to the next one. Joseph was thrown into a pit of rejection. Look at what it says here. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they were off tending the sheep, if you will. And they were caring for them. So his dad sends his, his, his uh, son, Joseph, to go check on them. And so he sends them down there and says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. And then we'll see what, what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we, sh why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. And then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was, was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return, return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. And then they grabbed him and threw him in the, into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Genesis 37, 18 through 24. So what we see here 
as they see him coming, you know, and like I said, this, this robe is, you know, many colors. Maybe it's bedazzled. Maybe it's got some gems on it. Maybe they saw him glistening as he was walking to them. But they recognize him and say, hey, here comes that dreamer. And so they literally go ahead and they get to the point of where they want to kill him. You know, and you think, well, you know, what, what in the world would drive them to that point? But they hated him. You know, and they despised him. And a lot of it because the dad had set it up that way and had moved it that way. And then Joseph was not the wisest in how he presented things at times there at home. And so, you know, he, he's literally thrown into this, this pit of rejection. So he's thrown in this pit of rejection. Maybe there's some of you in this room that you go, you know what, man, I know what that feels like. I have been rejected. And maybe you felt like you were rejected by your family or maybe by your mom or your dad. You know, there's oftentimes whenever a, a parent will literally just check out, they'll leave, they're gone. And you don't even know who they are. And for a child, that can be, you know, man, that can be hard to deal with. I, I feel rejected. My mom didn't want me. My dad didn't want me. Now, here's one of the great, the great things is there's so many families that adopt children that do want those children and do want to love them and do want to raise them in the, in the teaching of God's Word. And they want to care for them and they want to love them with a love that, man, is just unbelievable. You know, here's one of the things I hope you understand is whenever we accept Christ, we are adopted into His family. God chose us. He wants us. He wants a relationship with us. And so we are adopted into His family. One of the great things about you know, when you look back, when Jesus talked about becoming a part of the family of God, you know, he, he knew that in that day you had to go through a lot of issues and a lot of paperwork if you wanted to adopt a child or him become a part of your family. But you could disown a natural-born child. And so Jesus didn't use the natural-born child, but he said we become adopted into the family of God. Brothers and sisters, co-heirs with Christ. And so maybe you went through rejection as a child and maybe you felt rejected by a parent or something like that. Or maybe, and I know this happens a lot of times in, in relationships. Maybe you're a young lady, you know, and some guy has rejected you. Or maybe you're a, a young man and some girl has rejected you. And oftentimes we carry that wound around. Well, Jesus wants to heal those wounds. Here, here's a, here's a, a, a guy that's being rejected by his brothers, by his family, that they're literally wanting to take his life. Kill him. And so I can't imagine the rejection that Joseph was dealing with. And so that he, he, you talk about a setback. Rejection is one of those things that can, man, it can rob us of confidence, of any kind of hope that, you know what, I'm going to get through this or God's going to be there. And, and so here, here's what I love about this. Joseph was thrown into this pit of rejection, but God never left him. And we're going to see that later. I mean, God was there. God was working. God was doing. And there's times we will go through things. You may be in a relationship where you feel rejected. God is at work. You wouldn't be sitting here today if he's not at work on you. God is at work. And so he wants to work on us, and he wants to heal us, and he wants to mend us. And so that pit of rejection at times can feel like a setback. You might be in a relationship, and you feel like, you know what, hey, this is the one I thought I was going to marry, but there's rejection. But yet God will bring someone along, and later you'll look back and you'll say, thank God for unanswered prayer, kind of like an old country song. You know, and, and so we realize, you know what, it wasn't rejection, it was God had a different plan. He had something better for me. And, and so we, we've got to be willing to say, you know what, God... I realize there's going to be setbacks. And all of us have to understand there's going to be setbacks. Here's another one. Joseph gets sold out for money. In, in verse 26 it says, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let us, let us sell him to these Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own, fle- our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were, were Midianite traders came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him up out of the cistern and sold him, sold, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. And so think about that. You know, they, they're, they're saying, hey, listen, they're probably talking in front of us. Hey, listen, let's go ahead and kill him. 
And he's probably just down here in this pit, and all a cistern was was a pit that he was down in that he could not get out of on his own. And even when Reuben said, hey, let's just leave him in there, and you know, in other words, let's not shed any blood, what he's saying, hey, listen, he's going to die. And in, in many ways, he was already dying. He was being rejected. He was being wounded verbally. Can you imagine the accusations they're throwing at him? All right, dreamer, what's going to happen to your dreams now? Let's see those dreams come true down in that cistern. You know, how are you going to... How are, you going to, are your dreams going to come true? It looks like you're below us now instead of us bowing down to you. You can only imagine what was going on. So not only is he experiencing rejection and ridicule, but they pull him up out of there and they sell him as a slave to a bunch of foreigners. They don't know what they'll do to him, but they, they have no value for Joseph, it seems. And so they pull him out of the, this pit and they sell him out. So he's sold out for money. There may be some of you that you feel like, you know what, man, I've been sold out by a friend. Maybe you had a business partner or something that cheated you out of money. Maybe it was your mom and your dad or something like that. You thought you had something that was due you, and they said, you know what, it's not yours anymore. I was sharing with someone the other day. I said some of the worst in people comes out after someone has passed away, and they argue over the money that was left behind or the things that were left behind or whatever it might be. And, you know, they say, well, there's no will, so this is mine, this is mine. I can remember when my grandfather was... Uh, wounded in a, a car accident. He had broke his neck. Him and a couple other guys were, were drunk, and they hit the end of a bridge. Uh, and anyway, so he was put in the hospital. Well, my grandmother got back home. There's people that had already been over to pick up, to take things that belonged to him before she ever even got back home from the hospital. And so the people can have that mentality. You know, when someone dies, you know, we're, we're fussing and fighting. I can remember on my mom's side of the family that one of the biggest arguments after my grandmother passed away was who was going to get a dinner bell. You know, two, two aunts are fussing and fighting over who gets a dinner bell that she would ring when dinner was ready. You know, and I get, hey, man, it's sentimental, I get that. But, you know, it brought out the worst in people. And so there may be somebody in your life that, you know, money, you know, greed has destroyed and, and caused a major setback. Maybe you're, you're strained in your relationship with your family because of some kind of financial setback. And so here's the thing, Joseph dealt with it. Joseph was sold out for money. I mean, he, he literally lost everything. And so again, they sold him to uh, sold him to a bunch of traders that were going to Egypt. And then look at this next one, and I, I think this is so relevant to where we are. But Joseph lost his identity. It says, meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. So in other words, Joseph went from being a spoiled son, you know, that belonged to Jacob, to now he's just a slave. He went from being this dreamer who one day all these things would bow down to him to, you know what, he's at the bottom of the rung on the ladder. And so he is a, literally a slave. And so he's lost his identity. You know, many of us, we have things that kind of, you know, maybe are in your phone or your software, maybe you got LifeLock or something like that, where you get, a, you get something that says, hey, there's been a breach, and your identity is in question. Your identity may have been stolen. So that's a big thing that we hear now, nowadays. But the thing is, is, that's, that's just, hey, somebody's got your name, maybe your social security number and all that kind of stuff, and maybe they can get all your money. But a lot of times, it's, it's deeper than that. It's, hey, man, I, I don't know who I am. Maybe we feel like we've lost our identity. Man, I don't know who I am. You know, like I said earlier, maybe your mom and your dad, they're checked out. You don't know who your dad is. You don't know who your mom is. And, and man, it weighs on you and it wears on you. And, and you're going like, you know, who, who am I? Whose child am I? You know, why did they not love me enough? Why did they not care? And so our identity, man, gets wrapped up in what I don't have sometimes. And that's what we do. We kind of get wrapped up in, it's not what I have, it's what I don't have. 
and, and all of a sudden our identity begins to wear on us and a lack of identity. We don't feel like we, we belong to anybody. We don't feel like we have anything. But the thing is, is our identity should be in Christ. Who am I in Christ? Because I remember growing up insecure and battling insecurity, but it's whenever I began, began to understand who I was in Christ, that I was his child, that God wanted me, that God desired me, that God wanted a relationship with me, and that God would send his only son, Jesus, to, to die on a cross for my sins and for my lies and for my cheating. He died for me. And I began to understand, you know what, I do, I do have value. And God does love me. He does care about me. He doesn't leave me nor forsake me. But he is there for me. And so my identity is not in who anybody told me I was, but it's in what Christ says about me. It's what Christ has done for me. And I, I think many of us, we grow up insecure because maybe we had negative things told us about it. Hey, you look, listen, you're clumsy. Well, all of a sudden, that's your identity. You know what? Hey, you're, you're, you're lazy. That's your identity. Hey, you know what? You're a cheater. Yeah, that's your identity. Hey, you know what? You're, you'll never amount to anything. You're a loser. That's your identity. And so all of a sudden, we're, we're like Joseph. Our identity has been stolen. And the evil one keeps telling us, hey, you're, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never really make it. You'll never really make a difference. You'll never be a starter. You'll never be whatever. And all of a sudden, our identity is stolen. And all of a sudden, we believe what someone else has told us rather than what God says. God says, I want to do great and mighty things through you. I want to use you to, to make a difference in the lives of people. I want you to be a channel of blessing. I want you to be a channel of blessing to people. So Joseph lost his identity. And then Joseph was purchased. You know, we see that he, was, he, was, he, became a, he worked for, for Potiphar. And Potiphar, was, he, was, he was popular. I mean, he was, a, he was the captain of the palace guard. So it wasn't just anybody. And God's working in this whole thing. And so... Joseph is, hired, is, is bought as a slave to work for Potiphar. And so Potiphar saw that the Spirit of the Lord was on this guy and that God's presence was in his life. And so everything that Joseph touched began to turn to gold. You know, everything he did, man, it succeeded. It worked and things just got better. And so Potiphar said, man, hey, everything that I've got, you're over that. And so Joseph just kept working his way up and everything he had belonged to him except one thing. Let's read here. So in verse 6 it says, So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. So in other words, he didn't worry about nothing. It was just, hey, what's, what's for supper? You know, that was it. It says, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. And he has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It, could be, it would be a great sin against God. And so here's Joseph. He's been given authority over everything in the house. And this woman who begins to lust after him, desire to be with him, she, you know, she's wanting to sin. And he's like, you know, how could I do such a wicked thing to, to my boss who, who owns me, who, who, who has purchased me? who has given me all these things. How can I do such a wicked thing to him? And besides that, it would be a, a great sin before a holy God. And, and so here's what's so awesome about Joseph. He realized, you know, it's about my relationship with God. It's the reason I've been given anything. He realized that. And, and, and so here this woman is, is, she's asking him, hey, listen, come and sleep with me. And, 
he keeps saying no, and he keeps saying no. And then he, the Bible even says he begins to avoid her as, as, as much as possible. And then one day she kind of corners him, and she, she demands, hey, you come and sleep with me. And he goes, no. And so she, he literally runs out of that. He flees from the room, and she grabs his outer garment, his, his cloak or whatever. And then she begins to scream. She tells the other workers what, you know, that he has made a fool of her, that he, he tried to rape her. And then, you know, and, and he's knowing, hey, that's not true. But whenever Potiphar gets back, she tells Potiphar her story, and, and he is thrown into prison. And so Joseph was punished for doing the right thing, trying to honor his owner, trying to honor Potiphar, trying to honor their marriage, trying to do the right thing. And so Joseph was punished for doing the right thing. So he literally is thrown into prison. And, and there may be some of you that you tried to do the right thing. You know, you, you want to do the right thing. You know, and you say, well, you know, what's, how do you get punished for doing the right thing? Sharing the gospel. You know, that's the right thing to do. That's what we're commanded to do. It's a great commission. And, you know, and, and there's more and more we hear where, hey, you know, it's against the law to do this. It's against the law to do that. And so we have to be careful, you know, that we, we are still witnesses for Christ. You know, one of the things that blows my mind is, you know, when someone does something wrong, you would think that you would say, hey, well, listen, let's just tell the truth because the truth will set you free, right? Let's, hey, let's take ownership. Let's say, hey, this is what I did. But that's not what they teach anymore because they say, hey, listen, that could incriminate you. If you tell the truth, that could incriminate you. So what you do, you have to, you, have, you know, they read you your rights, so you have the right not to say anything, right? You have to, you have to have a right to kind of hold certain things in because it might incriminate you, but the truth will set you free is what Scripture teaches. That's not what the judicial system is all about. I think sometimes we think, well, if, hey, man, one of the teachings that is pretty prevalent in our culture today is called prosperity gospel. Man, hey, if you love God... If you really line up with his word, if you live according to his teaching, if you give, you know what? God's going to bless you with a Mercedes. God's going to bless you with a big house. God's going to bless you with all this stuff. And that is nowhere in the gospel. Let me just tell you that. That's just man trying to get you to do certain things. But I'll just tell you this. If you go back and you read what Christ had, he had none of that. And there's nobody any more like God than he is because he was fully God yet fully man. And so what Jesus says Hey, the Son of Man has, you know, the foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't even have a bed. And we're going to sit there and think, well, if I do this and I do this and I do this, God's just going to bless me and he's going to pour it out. It could be that whenever you're doing the right thing, it could cost you your life. If you go back and you look at the guys that wrote most of the New Testament, and the, the apostles and the disciples, you know, some of them, most of them, all of them lost their life. Some literally had a sword run them through. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them were crucified upside down because they didn't feel worthy to be crucified the way that Christ was. And so if you go back to the early leaders of the church and you go back to those who, who preached the gospel, who, who literally shared the good news and it literally spread across the globe and you are sitting here today because of the work that they did, it cost them their life. And yet we want to sit here and preach in this day and age that, hey, if you'll just do the right things, God's going to bless you and bless you and bless you. It could be that the blessing is is that you die for the right things. And that's hard for us to get our mind around, because all of us, we're like, man, hey, I, I want to live. I want to live. Let me tell you, in places in China, I remember years ago, we, we heard a missionary, and he was talking about, you know, that they would meet underground in China. And in China, literally, the church has exploded for the last few years, because the, seat, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. Whenever there's persecution, the church flourishes because people look and they go, you know what? These people are willing to die for their faith, and it causes them to want to live for Christ. 
And so they see, hey, there's something here worth having. It's not just a religion. It's more than that. And so I can remember this, this missionary came in. He was talking about how they would meet underground. And, and there was one person would be given a certain ring to wear. And that certain person would have that ring. Well, he would be the one who would tell people, hey, this is where we're meeting. And I remember one of, one, one of the people asked, said, wouldn't it be dangerous to wear that ring? He goes, no, it was the greatest honor. In other words, it was the greatest honor to wear that ring because you were the one that were telling people where there was life. And we're all sitting there going like, man, I mean, he's putting his life on the line to wear that ring. And he was, that's exactly right. But he was doing the right thing. He was sharing the gospel and lives were being changed and the church in China was exploding even though it was being persecuted by the government. And, and so we've got to get our mind around, you know, that, that sometimes us doing the right thing looks like a setback, but it really is a setup. And this last one. Joseph was forgotten by people he helped. And let me, let me explain that. I will read that passage. Joseph got thrown into prison because of what happened with Potiphar's wife and what she said. So he's thrown into prison. Now, the, the incredible thing is, is the prison warden saw that with Joseph, just like Potiphar had seen, that everything that Joseph touched, man, flourished. It just, I mean, he just was intelligent, he was sharp, and man, God had his hand on him, and his favor was on him. And so what happened was Joseph began to move up through the ranks in the prison. Before long, he was over everything inside the prison. And there was two people that got put in prison. One was a cupbearer, and if you remember, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. We talked about him last week. And so he would taste the drinks to make sure that it was not poison in it for the Pharaoh. And, and so there was a baker. So there was a baker and a cupbearer that had been put in prison. They had done something to tick the Pharaoh off. So he's they're in there. And anyway, so both of them have a dream. And one of them has a dream. And, uh, you know, and, and he's kind of wigged out about it. The other one has a dream. He's wigged out about it. So they asked Joseph, Joseph, what do these, uh, these dreams mean? And so he said, only God can, can, uh, can tell you what they mean. And so he tells him. Hey, the cupbearer, he says, hey, in three days, you're going to be reinstated, and you'll have your position back. The guy's like, hey, that sounds pretty good, right? To the baker, he says, hey, listen, in three days, you're going to be impaled on a, on a stake, and the birds of the air are going to come and peck the flesh out of your eyes. And he's like, uh, that's not so good. You know, that doesn't sound good. But what happened is exactly what Joseph said. And so Joseph said, hey, listen, you know, whenever you guys leave here, and so he tells them this, and the baker's not excited, but the you know, the, the cupbearer is, he says, hey, whenever you leave here, remember me. And this, look, look at this passage, it goes in verse 14. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you, mention me to Pharaoh. So he, like, he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing to deserve it. So it sounded like us. I didn't do anything to be here. And, and so what, what Joseph was saying, I didn't do anything wrong. But I'm being punished for the things I did that were not necessarily wrong. They were the right things, but I'm being punished for that. And then he said, hey, listen, don't forget me. And so look at what it says in Genesis 40, verse 23. Pharaoh's cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. So in other words, he, he ends up staying in prison, never thinks about Joseph. You know, he goes back, he's reinstated. The baker literally goes back. He is impaled on a stake, and the birds of the air come and eat his flesh. And so it was everything just as Joseph had said. So a couple of years go by. So Joseph is still in there wondering, I'm sure, you know, God, what happened to the cupbearer? Obviously, you know, things didn't go well or something. But, hey, you know, what happened? And so anyway, so two years go by, and the, and the Pharaoh has a dream. And he has this, this, this crazy dream where these cows come up out of, the, out of the river, and they're all fat, and they're plump. And then t- seven scrawny cows come up out of the river, 
and they eat those seven plump, healthy cows. And he's going, what does that mean? And the cupbearer goes, hey, you know, by the way, I know a guy in prison that interprets dreams. And so he brings him to the Pharaoh. He gets all cleaned up, shaven, and everything. He goes before the Pharaoh, and he tells him what it means. And he says, hey, look, and there was another part of the, uh, the dream. But he says, hey, pretty much this is what's going to happen. You're going to have seven years of famine, or seven years of feast. It's going to be more grain than you'll know what to do with. You need to store it up for those years, whenever there's going to be seven years following that will be a, a famine. And so Pharaoh was like, you know what? There's nobody like this guy. There's nobody like you. And, and so he puts him in charge, second in command there in, 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 uh, in Egypt. And Pharaoh pretty much says, hey, listen, listen. You'll be, the only person that will be over you will be me. So you're, you're going to second in command. So here, here, here's Joseph who went from slave, you know, rejection, you know, being picked on by his brothers, to all of a sudden he's second in command. And it's an incredible story. And, and so what we have to understand is, you know what? What seem like setbacks are really stepping stones of life if we trust God. What seems like a setback is really a stepping stone for life if we trust God. And so Joseph trusted God. He, 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 he believed in God. He honored God. Miss Van, who, who, who does the preschool cooking for our, our children, our preschool during the week, you know, she often will say, you know what? God's just building a testimony. You may be going through something. Your family's going through something. She goes, God's just building a testimony. She's right. And, and there's something else that she often says that I think is a great truth. A lot of times whenever our kid is going through something, it's not necessarily for our kid. It's for us. Or you know what? Maybe our parents are going through something, but it's not our parents that are going through that for them. It's for us. God's teaching us something through them and through their situation. And so there's a lot of things that we can learn from Joseph's situations and his setbacks. And a lot of times we don't look at these setbacks as stepping stones. We look at them as failures. We look at them as tragedy. We look at them as, you know, all these things. And so we don't see them as a positive thing or a blessing even. Or maybe that God is preparing us to, to minister in some way because God never wastes a hurt. And so we don't want to look at the things that we're going through and go, you know what, man, I hope I just get through this. But we, instead we ought to be saying, God, I know you're going to use this somehow. And what we have a tendency to do, we talk, last week we talked about the, uh, the target over here. On Archer's target, this is called the gold, G-O-L-D. That's not yellow, that's gold. And so the bullseye. And so what we don't talk about often is the bow. We will often talk about the target. We'll talk about the bullseye. And we, we will focus on where the arrow goes, right? Because we want to know where the arrow is going to end up. We want to know, hey, can we hit the bullseye? Can we make gold? But we don't oftentimes don't think about or talk about the bow much. And the bow is what sets up the arrow for success. Would you agree? So whenever we, 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 we load it up with an arrow, we, we draw it back, and literally the bow has to go through a setback before it will ever set that arrow up for, for accuracy or for hitting a bullseye. And so what we have a tendency to do is we don't really think about the bow. It doesn't get the attention. What gets the attention is the target or the arrow. And so that, we, that hey, that's, gets all the awards, all that kind of stuff, but we don't think about, hey, this is where it's launched from. And so the, the whole part of a bow is it's a setback. You know, we're, it's a tension that is built. And sometimes, we, you know, we get so focused on other things and we don't realize that the setback is really what God is using to set us up for something incredible. To maybe do something down the road or do something downrange, if you will, that's going to be a, a difference maker. And, and only the people that really think about what a bow is about or really appreciate a bow is someone who has one. Whenever you've got a bow, you, you, you'll, you'll think about, hey, is it a good bow? Because a good bow is going to launch arrows hopefully better. But you still have to pick out a good arrow. 
And if you ever get a good arrow, you'll, t- you'll hang on that one good arrow. You'll shoot that one arrow more than you'll shoot any of the others because you feel like, you know what? Hey, it's a true arrow. It's true. But the thing is, is we often will kind of get so focused on the target and everything else, we forget, that, you know what? Let's look at the setup. Let's look at the setbacks and see that, you know what? That's what allows us to have this. So if we look back at Joseph's life, all that he went through would not have prepared him for what would happen. And so let's look at what kept... Uh, kept him from giving up. What kept Joseph from giving up? We talked about not giving up last week. So the, so Joseph, he desired intimacy with God and was dependent on God's presence. Joseph desired intimacy with God and was dependent on God's presence. Look at what it says in Acts 7, verses 9 through 10. Now, this is in the New Testament referring back to Joseph. It says, these patriarchs, and it's talking about his brothers, were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. God was with him. There was a relationship there. There was, a, there was a, 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 an intimacy there. Look at what it says in Genesis 39.3. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Now, you might say, all right, all right that means that that right there, that's prosperity gospel, that, that God's going to give me success in everything I did. He was in prison. I don't know if you caught that. But he ended up going to prison. He was a slave. You know, and, and so the thing is, is we often kind of, hey, well, that's going to be, God's going to give me success in everything I do. God's going to give you impact and influence. doesn't mean that we're going to be rich or wealthy. Now, here's the thing. Joseph did move to second in command. You know, so, so whenever he interprets that dream, Pharaoh sets him up. Now, what's crazy is that his brothers would eventually come there looking for grain because they're in the seven years of famine and they're about to die. And if it were not for Joseph... If it were not for Joseph, the nation of Israel would be lost. All of them would have died. And, and so, literally, Joseph, God was setting Joseph up to literally provide for the nation of Israel and to provide for his people. But Joseph, here's what I love about this. Joseph desired intimacy with God and was dependent on God's presence. Let me ask you, do you desire intimacy with God or are you just religious? Because see, what we can do, we can get busy going through the motions. We can go to church. But do you desire intimacy with God? Do you desire to be in His presence? Do you desire to listen to His Word? Do you desire to spend time in prayer? Do you desire just to talk to Him? So in other words, is there really an intimacy between you and God? Or is it just hey, like God's this distant God that really doesn't really you know, connect with me or I don't really connect with Him, but I believe there's a God and I believe that one day I'll go to heaven. And so do you... Do you just believe that there's a heaven? Do you believe that there's a God? Or do you believe that, you know what? God wants a relationship with me. God wants to spend time with me. He wants to bless me. He wants to encourage me. He wants to, he wants to love on me. You think about a loving father. Now, some of you guys may have grown up in a home where your dad was far from that. And oftentimes, the way that you look at God is the way you look at your father. But I'm just telling you, our Heavenly Father is a loving Father who cares about the details of our life. He wants to be intimate with us. He wants to hold us. He wants to care for us. And so here's what I love about Joseph. He desired that intimacy with God, and he desired to be in God's presence. Some of us, the last place we want to be is in God's presence. We want to be anywhere but in God's presence because we're afraid, you know what, he's going to see how undone I am. Here's the thing I would go ahead and tell you. He already knows how undone you are. He knows how broken we are. He knows that none of us have made it. None of us are good enough. He knows that, but he loves you in spite of all that. And it's because of your brokenness and because of my brokenness that Jesus was willing to leave heaven and come here. Look at number two. Joseph was dependent on God's plan, 
no matter how long it took. Joseph was dependent on God's plan no matter how long it took. In Genesis 50, verse 20, when his brothers come, and now let me just go ahead and tell you, now he plays with them, and he works them over a little bit, maybe a little redemption for him, I don't know, but you know what? He, he kind of messes with them, he sends them back home with their grain, with the money they brought, and they're like, man, what in the world has happened? You know, we still got the money that we gave them for the grain, they're going to think that we robbed them. Well, then he, he has them come back, he has them bring their brother back, he goes through a lot of things, you need to read the story if you can. And then eventually, you know, they, they take, he has his cup put in their bag and they have it. And he says, you know what? You stole my cup. And he's messing with them. And finally at the end, look at what it says in Genesis 50 verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I think if some of us in this room would have that mentality, you know what? God, it's your plan that I desire, not mine. God, I know there's things that people have intended for harm against me. But God, I'm looking at your plan. God, I want to know your will. God, I want to be in the center of your passionate will. And so God, I'm trusting you. I'm not trusting my ability. I'm not trusting what I bring to the table because I don't have enough. But God, I I do trust you. And and so here, Joseph, he was dependent on God's plan. God's, God's plan in the long haul made sense. Now each day of that, it didn't always look like that. Hey, Joseph, you're going to be a slave. All right, that doesn't look like that would be God's plan. Hey, Joseph, you're going to be in prison. That doesn't look like that would be God's plan. Hey, Joseph, you know what? You're going to interpret a dream. You know, and, and, and still, hey, be forgotten for two years. But here's the thing is God had a plan. And there are times that we go, you know what? God's just not moving fast enough, so I'm going to get involved. And I'll just tell you this. Moses did not make it into the promised land because he, he rushed what God had told him to do. He struck a rock instead of doing what God had told him to do. And he kind of took it into his own, own hands. And you know what? God said, you know what? You won't go into the promised land because of that, Moses. And so we've got to be willing to say, God, I trust you and I'm waiting on you. And most of us in this microwave age, we don't want to wait on anything. But God may be telling you, hey, listen, wait. Maybe you want to get married. You know, hey, there's not very many people out there. I'll just take the next likely candidate. No, no, no. Wait on God's person, right? Wait on God's person. Now, hey, the next job pops up. Now, here's the thing. Work a job. Get a job. But, you know, there may be an opportunity that's out there, and you've got two different opportunities. I remember we were praying about going to two different churches at one time, and I was like, God, where do you want me to go? It's like the, the water was muddy because there were both options. And God said, hey, listen, I want you to go where you're going to have the greatest impact. And that's where I went. And so we've got to be able to say, God, I want to make a difference. And, and Joseph was dependent on God's plan. Last, last one, and we're done. Joseph depended on God's help. In every challenge. It says in Genesis 41, 15 through 16, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that what, whenever, when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Look at what Joseph said. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. What Joseph was saying, hey, listen, you know, I, I can do what I can, but man, we need God to step in. There are things that we want to accomplish as a church. And I'll go ahead and tell you, there's a lot that we can do as a church if we'll just do our part. But there's some things that we have got to attempt that only will happen if God steps in. And we've got to have that mentality. And there may be some things you go, you know, hey, I can only do so much. Then do what you can and let God step in. And we've got to be willing to trust God. Joseph depended on God's help. It's not you figuring it out. It's not you being smart enough. It's not you having it all together. It is just going, you know what, God, I need your help. One of the greatest places that that shows up is in our salvation. We can't, we can't be good enough. We can't earn our way to heaven. I can't do enough rights and, you know, and, and, and not do enough wrongs. 
I am, I'm still broken. I'm still in need of a Savior. And so the greatest, the greatest picture of us needing God's help is every person in this room needs a Savior. Every one of us. It doesn't, you might say, well, Mike, I'm not that bad. It doesn't matter. If you have lied one time, you have broken God's commandments, you have literally ostracized yourself from God, and you're separated from God because of your sin. And so the thing is, is every one of us needs God's help. And so what God did is he provided the help through his son, Jesus. When Jesus came and he died on the cross and he bled out his precious blood, it was to cover the sins of, of everyone, the sins of the world, past, present, and future sins. And so it's the power of the gospel, the transformational power of Christ, and the good news that, you know what, that he can purchase you, that he can redeem you, that he can save you. It's what transforms us, it's what changes. It's not me following a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not me going to life groups and, hey, I've got to memorize more and I've got to read more and I've got to do all these things. That's not what saves me. I do those things because I have been transformed by the power of the gospel. I do believe that Christ can save me. And because of my faith in what Christ has done and the grace of God, I am made right with God. I needed his help. We all do. Every one of us needs the help that only comes through Christ. And, and so here Joseph says, man, he depended on God's help in every challenge. He goes, I can't do this, but God can. And so there's something that you're going to be facing. Maybe it's a financial challenge. You might be saying, you know what, we can't do this, but God can Maybe there's a relationship challenge going on in your home right now. And you say, you know what? We can't do this, but God can. But the one thing that I promise you that you can't do, and that is save yourself by being good enough and earning your salvation, but God can, God can purchase you. I want to ask you, if you will, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I don't know what kind of setbacks you've gone through. Maybe just me talking about the family home, uh, family environment, brothers and sisters. Maybe for you that brought, you know, kind of opened up some wounds. That wasn't my intention. But it is to remind you that God can work through those setbacks. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe even right now you feel rejected. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to bless you. He wants to work in you and through you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He doesn't reject you. But I will say this. If we reject Christ, His Son, and what He's done, then we have chose to reject God. So maybe today, maybe for you, you realize, you know what, today I want to give, life, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to surrender to who Jesus is. I want to be saved. I want to be adopted into his family. I want to be a part of the family of God. You might be thinking, I don't feel like I'm good enough. You're not. None of us are. But he is. And so with all the faith that you have right now, maybe this is your prayer. If that's you, you just pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. Jesus, I believe that you can save me. Jesus, I believe that you can heal me. Jesus, I believe that you can forgive me. And so, Jesus, I want to confess to you that I am a sinner. And I have blown it. I have messed up. I'm confessing that to you. I repent. I quit. I want to quit living that way. I want to live for you. I want to live righteous and holy. But, God, I can't do it. I need you. So, Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I come to you for salvation. I have heard the gospel, and I receive it as a gift. 
by faith through God's grace, just God's grace, His mercy. If that is your prayer, if you just prayed to receive Christ, you just confessed your sin, you just decided, man, I want to repent, I want to turn to Christ, and I want to give Him my life, the Bible says your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life in blood, the blood of Christ. Never to be erased. You're His child. You're in His family. You know, and, and from this point forward, we begin to walk with Christ. We begin to line up with His teachings. We begin to share that love that we've experienced with others. It's what we're all called to do. It's not, we're not called to judge others. We're called to love others and to forgive others. And if anything, to serve them. Maybe you're here today and you put your faith in Christ. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome my brother and my sister. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer, if you will, just raise your hand and say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer to ask Christ to come into my life. Anybody? Just raise your hand high. Right here, I see it. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. I mean, I just prayed to receive Christ. I asked Christ to come into my life. Okay. Anybody else? If you just prayed that prayer, man, we want to encourage you to go back to the VIP room. We want to pray with you, pray for you. That tells me there's a lot of other believers in this room, though. Man, do we, are we pursuing an intimate relationship with Christ? Is intimacy what we desire? Or do we just desire religion? God wants us to have a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. Father, I thank You for today. Father, help us as individuals to, well, Father, desire intimacy. God, that our desire would be to know You. and Father, just to, to learn about You. Learn about Your ways. Learn about how much You love us and, God, how much forgiveness You show. God, that you never reject us. Father, because of the blood of Christ placed upon us, we're accepted because of his righteousness, not because of ours. And so, God, I thank you again for your love. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your mercy. And, God, I thank you that you use the setbacks in our life to set us up for future, with Father, impact. God, you want to use us to make a difference in the lives of people. In Jesus' name, amen.